AI and advanced analytics have vast potential for federal agencies, and the technology is rapidly changing, making AI adoption an ongoing process rather than an end state. In this episode of Meritalking, I'm joined by Kathleen Featheringham, Vice President of Artificial Intelligence and Machine Learning at Maximus. And today, we'll explore the big picture potential of AI and how agencies can achieve immediate mission value from it. Kathleen, thank you for joining us today. Great, thank you. It's so nice to be here today. So let's get started. For many people, AI only recently became real, so to speak, in the last few years through things like chatbots and forms of generative AI like ChatGPT that create highly realistic narratives based upon user queries. You've been involved in AI far longer though, so it's been real to you for a good portion of your professional life. How did you get involved in AI? So really it started off with a lot of being able to try to explore data further. So farther back in my career, I supported a lot of national security type of clients. And they started going from a paradigm of where they had very little data and they were trying to do deep analysis and things on that data to all of a sudden having a lot more data and data coming at you from all over the place and different types of it. So it wasn't just trying to make sure that you understood that specific set, but actually starting to be able to shift through it and understand what it's telling you, what's important parts, what does that mean? And a lot of the history there and some of the things that we've been involved with, especially around data science and, you know, that is being able to explore it. A lot of the times we base things off what questions we know to ask, but what if, how do you get to the parts where finding the information and the insights for the questions you didn't know to ask? So that paradigm caused us to have to actually start shifting into, and my colleagues and I start shifting more into the evolving nature of what was data science. With that, one of the tools that was around was associated with machine learning. So machine learning is really just a brute force method of being able to go through large quantities of data. And so with that, it just started to expand from there. Machine learning is a part of AI. AI and the term AI actually came out in like the 1950s. Good portions of these things were not that it wasn't around and people weren't thinking about it. It was some of the technology hadn't caught up, especially things like high-performance computing and the processing power. So there was a lot of different techniques and things that were used, but they just weren't used as mainstream because you didn't have the right underlying technology. The technology caught up. So now with that and being in national security type things, it caught up there first with the abundance of data. Now we're seeing it out everywhere else, that data is ubiquitous, it's, it's everywhere. So now we're starting to see the rise. And again, some of these things, because of the capabilities, the technology is cut up and it can be out there and starting to see how it can be appropriately used. Right, wow, that's really fascinating how it, it's really not new, but it's new to so many of us. <laughs> and you mentioned uses uh, for AI and we know that new use cases arise every day. For example, NASA's turning to AI to design spacecraft and mission hardware, and OPM says it can be used to assess the qualifications of job applicants. The FDA wants to use it to help assess pharmaceuticals. 
What are some of the most tangible use cases for federal agencies seeking to harness AI for immediate mission value? Yeah, so where I would start is really thinking about the outcomes that they're trying to achieve. So there's so many people in the federal workforce, contractors, and just at large that will say things like, this is the stuff I have to do before I do my real job. So I have to be able to collect all this data, go through it, find the relevant points of it, so then I can do what I'm really good at. So that's one of the best places to start in thinking about use cases is it's not wholesale replacing. It's not, hey, we can do this and it'll solve all the aspects. Will it help in some capacity? And can it be paired with human skills and abilities for that? So machines and AI are really good at rote tests, computational, things that over time, a human may actually just get tired of doing. So looking at the same thing over and over and over again. The machines, it's mathematical algorithms and computations, they don't get tired. And they're going through that. But then you're saving the cognitive minds of humans to do the things that they're really good at, which is creativity and critical thinking and understanding how to do those. So the stuff that they're burdened by, you're actually freeing up some parts of that for them to do more of those things. So whether that's in the medical arena of really trying to understand really complex problems that how you know, could this types of things do this and they're not inundated in the other parts that they are required to do to do those parts of the jobs. So you mentioned you know, whether it's job descriptions or things. Job descriptions are out there all over the place. Nobody really loves writing those. And it's basically being able to take from a whole bunch of different places and give you results back of, hey, these are common things that were put together already. So if you think about it from a use case perspective, it acts as a starting place. But it's not going to, you know, think about major television shows and stuff too, and the creativity that came out, a brand new style. It's not going to replace that. It's only going to go through what's already there and existing and try to create, recreate, and understand of those elements of it. So again, it frees you up for those parts because it's following pretty formulaic types of things that you should do. The other part of it, and I think it's one of the really critical aspects of it, is in thinking about a use case, is test it. Test the output of it, and if it gives you enough of help and results, understand that and really understand how effective it is. Just because it's only 80% effective, that may be great for if it's doing something about recommending around like t-shirts and stuff that I might want. You know, <laughs> that might be okay. That might be helping and it's still learning and, and getting more data in to refine that. But then again, we talked about the medical range. If it's something about, you know, what medicine to give me and something that if you, you know, it recommends or has the things that says, give her this medicine, it has a lot higher consequences because that could have adverse side effects or other things to it. So it's really about how it's going to be used and for what outcome it is. So there's not you know, one specific. I gave a couple examples of where it could be, but there's a lot of different things, but it's the understanding of the parameters of what it's being used, what's the current accuracy for it, and everybody having that insight into how it's making the decisions and things of what it's coming up with and the recommendations and as those shift over time. Great. So Help us to understand the big picture potential of AI technology. What's the difference or the disconnect between what agencies are doing with AI today and what they could be doing with it? Yeah, great question. So I think the best way to think about this is a journey. It's not necessarily what they could be just yet. It's where they're at in the journey 
and thinking about it and have them thinking about it as a journey and that it's an evolving process. So things like ChatGPT have come out and how much they've evolved even in the last year is just massive and nobody knew that it would exactly evolve quite that way. And so that's gonna keep happening. That's not gonna, and this is not to say it as a scary thing, but it's just gonna keep evolving and hopefully evolving with more people having insight and understanding of what those capabilities could do. That's where that creativity part that we talked about earlier comes in, Mm -hmm. is people are, you know, they start thinking about it. They might be in the shower and be like, oh wait, could I use it for this? And those things. So how do you kind of like move them from what they're doing today to what they could be doing? You have a couple different facets. Some are the quality of their data, where it's at, how it could be used, how they're collecting it, what format it needs to be used against that. You have some of the technology parts of the larger infrastructure, meaning can it already integrate the AI into it? In some cases, you can't actually. You actually need to do some things of refinement of hardware, things for that. Then there's other things like, hey, I'm going to use it in these small kind of isolated use cases and start testing them and seeing what they look like against their problems and the outcomes of it and refining it. But one of the bigger aspects that will help agencies really kind of move from where they're at today is probably the hardest. It's the cultural part of it. It's what is it? What's the understanding of it? So a big difference is it used to be for some of these technologies, really only the tech folks had to think about it, the IT people, those parts of the groups. And everybody else would be like, yeah, that's cool and all, but I don't really get it. You know, I'm, you know I was an English major. I, this part, I was sociology. I, I don't pay attention to those. And because it's a little scary, you know, for everybody who is not a math major deciding and thinking that they're not going to have to understand math. But it's not about that. It's actually more about the outcomes of it and that everybody plays a role in terms of what they do. So there's legal implications. There's human implications. There's process implications. So now it's getting that kind of larger scale awareness of how to evaluate it, how to put your expertise and your functional things associated with what it is. So those parts are the parts that people really should be thinking about of educating. How does it, will it impact my job, not as a replacement, but what could it do to give me higher lift? What could I evaluate it for? Which means that some people may do their jobs differently than they do today. Again, that's not just replacing, that's allowing them to be able to have better resources to find answers faster. So some of the things that are there and are so critical about what you can do and what you can advance further is they may be able to get to things of some areas call it decision advantage. Mm -hmm. It is I can now have some better timely information and putting that into the perspective of what I need to make these really hard decisions or understanding or try to, or, or things that might impact humans' lives. Again, it's more thinking about it as a journey and how it goes along as opposed to, you know, a snapshot in time and, hey, do this one specific technical thing, as opposed to putting in some foundational blocks that will help them actually evolve. And again, let humans do what they're really good at, Mm -hmm. which is creativity and critical thinking. Right. So what might be standing in the way of getting to decision advantage? Yeah. Things like that. Again, it's going to be a couple different areas. Some of the legacy technology infrastructure, some of these things were designed a really long time ago. They could have never anticipated this types of technologies and the needs of this types of technologies. 
try to, and I may oversimplify this, but a way to try to explain it is traditional software was designed to be kind of, hey, it's a set of code. It will run this. It's always going to run this. It doesn't change over time. Certain parts of different AI things are designed to change over time. So when you have systems designed to run things that are not supposed to change, <laughs> then you put in things that do change, there's a disconnect there. There's also sometimes there's over-reliance of humans, thinking somebody really smart must have made this technology, so therefore I should trust it. So a lot of the times people think that they distrust or people won't trust. There's good portions of over-trust. These are machines that are increasing in their accuracy, and it takes a large amounts of times where they're actually going through. They refer to it as learning, but learning, you know, connotates very human emotions and human types of experiences of how like, humans learn. Humans tend to learn by like factual-based things where they learned, okay, this is the capital of this state. Or they learn by like experiences, meaning that they learn to ride a bike, they learn to walk because they felt the experience and understood those types of things. That's not how machines learn. So if you use that connotation, it's going through and other attributes that they're figuring out in terms of, you know, are these the same pixels? Do they have the same things that are around it? Let's say it's stuff like ChatGPT is the amount of times that these words have shown up. And then this is the statements that follow after that. Mm -hmm. You know, those types of things are how machines learn. So when you kind of start thinking about it, it's how do you bring it back to what is it that you're trying to do and what's the outcomes that you're trying to get? And then finding out, is it a blocker of people misunderstanding and not just understanding the tech and feeling comfortable with what it would do or understanding how they could be involved with it? Meaning, okay, I should evaluate it this way and look at it. It tends to be we're used to things showing up as 99% accurate or trying to get to a 99% accurate. That's just not how it works because, again, it's an evolving thing over time. Mm -hmm. And as different information comes in, it, you know, evolves. The best way I can try to, like, do, you know, something that would be similar to that would be when you're asked a question and you give a response and then somebody else says something differently and, like, a slightly different question is asked and you give a, a different answer. And they're like, well, why did you give a different answer? And then typically you're like, well, you asked me a different question. And so when you asked me those different parts of the question, I gave you different answers. It was because you had different information that you were taking in and your answer shifted slightly, even though it might seem like a similar question, it was enough difference that you gave a different response. That's just very similar to how AI things are happening is as the information that it's taking in and then the answers may shift based off of what it has at the time. So a lot of people are playing with, and I have as well, you know, ChatGPT, and they'll put, they ask a question once and they get one answer, then they'll ask it again, they get a different answer. Again, it's going through of how certain things and where it's finding it from and pulling in and kind of filling in the blanks. Yeah, so definitely some challenges, but a lot of excitement, I think, around AI in industry and in government. A recent report out of Stanford University says federal spending on AI contracts totaled $3.3 billion last year, up from 2.7 the year before. The White House issued a new national AI R&D strategic plan. NIST put out new AI guidance. And last year, 
Congress passed more AI-related bills than ever before. So we see departments and agencies calling for investments in people and technology and planning for them. How do you envision AI growing in federal agencies over the next several years? I definitely envision it growing pretty extensively. Again, the hope and the desire is to have more awareness so that it's more about the responsible use and development of it. The reasons for is there are so many areas where we have such a limited amount of resources, human resources, meaning people that actually can go through, you know, sit and go through endless amounts of information by hand. That doesn't make sense any longer. It's burning them out. It's not actually effective or using what they're good at. And when you don't have enough people, being able to have these types of technologies that will allow you to do more and quickly and so that you can actually go through the endless, endless amounts of data that are coming in. So if you think about it, we as humans are, we're creating so much data as individuals. Mm -hmm. You know, whether it's a smart ring like I have on uh, that it's collecting data about like my sleep and uh, heart rate and things, whether, you know, it's a smart watch and then you have like location things, all the different types of data that are out there, it's the how do you tell a story of it? What does that help you know better about yourselves? And because there's so many, you know, potential things that you can learn about and uh, the value to me, for example, like, you know, just in a, a really <laughs> like easy way of thinking about it is I've been wearing a smart ring for over a year. I can tell you pretty accurately now what time I should stop eating before going to bed in terms of if I want to have a good night's sleep, how is it going to impact my sleep for the time to just process food and other things overnight? That type of information is valuable to me. You know, sleep, it's fundamental to how you're going to perform, what you're going to do. You think about that, there's enough that it can have, you know, personal things. Then you go to the higher extremes. You know, how can you help find better medicines that will help individuals? Because a lot of things have been developed in the past for all of the mass amounts of cases. So think about of, you know, in general, this is the biggest, hardest cases. So the very small, where it's isolated to really smaller populations, they may not have the research and funding for it because they're really targeting the bigger groups. But what if now you can get much more precise in what might help me as an individual and the type of treatment and care that I get? Another one in the healthcare range could be language. Language is a huge barrier. And, you know, there's colloquialisms, there's slang, there's all sorts of things that, let's say, a doctor was trained in, you know, upstate New York, and now they're practicing in, let's say, New Orleans, and they don't have some of the understanding of colloquialisms, of where that a certain type of disease might be called one thing down there, and, and they're just taking notes. But what if you had the ability to have a prompt that said, oh, that term is actually probably indicative of this type of disease and in this area. You can give them better information. That doesn't take away anything from the doctor's skills and abilities. That's assisting them with something that, why would they ever even know? Or how would they know? And it's getting them be able to have that information that would literally change some of the things and decisions and, and life-saving things that they would do. Mm -hmm. Well, that's really fascinating. And you talked about your smart ring, and now I want one. <laughs> <laughs> Do it. <laughs> so thinking about AI in your own life, 
If the technology could advance in some way to benefit you personally, what would you want it to do? A lot of things, to be honest. Uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we do that, you know, you start to think of why. You know, I have two children and I love to see things through their eyes because a lot of the times they'll be like, well, why would I do that? You know, they, they didn't have to experience the idea of, hey, well, we just always did it this way. So they have a lot more things at their disposal of, hey, well, I could put this together, I could do this. For me personally, it's just, okay, how can we now take time to just do and be creative and think about like some of the really hard problems that are out there and, you know, with things that the types of technologies coming out is it's actually being democratized where you don't necessarily have to have, let's say, coding. You could actually solve problems that previously only programmers might have been able to who had coding abilities. And now you can actually work with an AI to help you do those things. That to me means that you could just sit and literally start thinking about the things in the shower and start putting them into practice of things that might be able to help me as an individual my family members, all of those. But again, I'd be remiss with saying that it is a responsible aspect because just because you can doesn't mean you should. So that's the other parts with AI. I, my belief is that it really needs to be a lot of demystifying and demystifying of what it is so that everyone doesn't think that like tomorrow we're at the stage where some synthetic being is sitting right next to us and we may not know. Humans are the creators. Humans are the creators of the data, the data that feeds AI. So that's kind of my great hope and belief is we do really smart things and we're really smart and creative people. So it's up to us in terms of how we want to put it into play. But I do want to see it put that way, but I want it used responsibly. Mm -hmm. Thanks so much for being here, Kathleen. We've learned a lot and it's really been a pleasure. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me. And that's all for today. To learn more about AI and Maximus, visit maximus.com federal. Have a great day.